Hello, and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that starts by recapping and discussing the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through a lens of anti-oppression and pro-diversity. I'm Ruthie Cowper-Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Encounter at Farpoint. This episode was written by Gene Roddenberry and DC Fontana and directed by Corey Allen. It was first aired on September 26th, 1987. Before we start, let's have a short check-in. So since this is our first ever episode, let's talk a little bit about who we are and what our relationship is with Star Trek. Yeah, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So... My name's Ruthie. Um, I started watching Star Trek. I don't actually remember when I started watching Star Trek because I was born just shortly before uh, the series started to air. And as long as I can remember, I've been watching Star Trek. So I know that there were some episodes that I saw as they were new coming out. Um, And there were some episodes that I saw in like syndication because it was a show that like started in syndication basically as soon as it started airing. Um, mm-hmm. So I saw a lot of the episodes in like not in proper sequence. Um, and then the later few seasons I remember watching in like as as the episodes came out. And I remember, I remember like certainly the series finale I remember watching um, when it first aired. Um but yeah, I've always loved Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, I like other Star Trek series too, but Next Generation was definitely my first, my first love in the Star Trek universe um, because I, I grew up with it. And I think it's a really great show for unpacking a lot of important social, political, economic, personal topics. Um, and I also think that, you know, maybe the writers were doing the best they could with the knowledge that they had in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, and sometimes that was great. And sometimes they missed the mark a little bit. And I think it's important to take these pieces of media that we really love and look at them a little bit critically sometimes and think about, okay, yeah, we love them. And what could they do better? Yeah, Star Trek was part of my life growing up as well. I can't remember a time that Star Trek wasn't in my childhood. The two things were so woven so closely together. And growing up in a small town in northwestern Ontario, it was there was a lot of sport culture. Um, I really didn't often feel like I kind of fit in there, uh, especially if you see me. If I played hockey, I'd probably break in half. But uh, but my outlet was was through space, uh, and that came primarily in two packages. One, uh, the one person in my family I did really connect closely to was my grandfather. My grandfather owned a cottage on a lake called Shabandwan in northwestern Ontario, and we would go out there to look at the skies. And I was first introduced to the stars there through through him and his 60-millimeter telescope. And the second was Star Trek, uh, these adventures that people had through the, the cosmos. And not only did they have these adventures and they explored, but they explored together as a family. And I always kind of wanted that. I wanted my, I wanted to be part of a crew that was doing good in the universe and exploring and having adventures. And so I started off with uh, the original series. I think the first movie I ever saw in theaters was, was Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, the one with the whales, as everyone calls it. Um, but then when Star Trek The Next Generation came out, it was even I could get a sense this was exciting to people, uh, even though I was I was still quite young, but getting a sense that Star Trek was coming back to television, that there were new episodes with a new cast and a new crew. And that show raised me. You know, a lot of my values, my morals uh, came from Star Trek. A lot of role models uh, I found in Star Trek uh, Next Generation, especially with Picard. Um, he was kind of like my space dad growing up. So uh, yeah, Star Trek's had a, a huge role in shaping my life and who I am and the work that I do now as an adult as well. I just just a couple things I want to say about like the maybe the kind of fan of Star Trek that I am and also a little bit about what we're going to do with this podcast so um there's different types of fans of Star Trek we don't look and sound the same you know we're we're not a monolith weird eh we're not uh, all exactly but um it's season four episode 17 (laughs) well so so that's the thing that I kind of want to address is that I mean I think I experienced this more um when I was younger like maybe 15 20 years ago less now but I remember there there were at that point a lot of people who would sort of 
you know, there, there, there could be a lot of gatekeeping into fandoms. So if you said you liked Star Trek, then you'd be greeted with like a bunch of questions like, how many decks does the Enterprise have? And when, what, what year did this show up? And what's, what's this discontinuity? And who played this character? And, and that's not the kind of fan that I am. I, no. I know a lot about Star Trek and TNG because I watched the show several times and I loved it and I remember stories pretty well. So I could tell you about stuff that happened in various episodes, but if it had to do with like, you had to read this supplementary information, I don't think that you need to consume all media around one, like one show to be a true fan. I think that you can just love the the stories that that show tells. So one of the things we're trying to do <clears throat> with this podcast is talk about the things that we love about that show, but not in a gatekeeping sort of way. So if there are folks listening to this who like have never seen an episode of Star Trek before in your life, I would say, I mean, we're going to try to keep this spoiler free, but I don't actually know that watching it like from the first episode all the way through is necessarily the best way to do that. But I mean, you're free to do that. But you know, this isn't like a super fans only kind of podcast. This is like us sharing stuff about something that we love. So you can't tell me how many multiples of the speed of light warp nine is? Is that what you're saying? No. Yes, that, that is what I'm saying. I can't tell. I mean, I think I may have known at one point. Um, but I forgot how it is calculated. And I am, I mean, I did study math. So if I <laughs> learned how to calculate it, then I probably would be able to. But that includes uh, space math? Space math. I didn't, I don't think I studied space math. I mean, well, I think a little while ago. Oh, you bring up a really good point. Um, I think it's a really good point. In fact, it, it's really sad when that gatekeeping like that happens in these communities because I think that we, we watch these shows because they felt inclusive of us. And so it would be unfair then, I think, to be exclusive of others. And you see stuff like that happening online, you know, in online forums, dialogue, and I think sometimes at convention spaces. Cons have been doing a really good job of talking about um, inclusivity, diversity, uh, consent, uh, these conversations that have become more mainstream into, into fandoms. And I think it makes us create healthier communities that way. Absolutely. And I think it helps, like, I mean, why, if you love a show – why would you want to limit the number of people who can watch that show, who are allowed to watch that show? Like, why why wouldn't you want like everyone to be able to enjoy that show if they if that's what they want to do? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, and it's it's kind of turns it kind of turns that idea of of inclusivity on its head because then it's like, well, if I fit, if other people fit, then maybe I won't fit anymore. Almost like belonging is a limited resource, or there's some sort of scarcity with belonging. But I don't think that's the case. I think the more space we make for others, uh, the more space there is in total. Space expands, right? So yeah, the whole idea. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I also think it comes from you know when you're stuck in a sort of in-group versus out-group mentality, then once you become part of an in-group, it's like you need to then create an out-group as well so that mm -hmm. you have that exclusivity that you so that you like desired so much when you were in the out-group. So then yeah. you, if, if you were to let everyone into this group, then it's less valuable and you don't have that experience of being in the exclusive in-group. Yeah, which is super twisted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not a very empathetic way. No, exactly. Not a very empathetic yourself. way. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to do our best to do this with empathy and with love and with kindness. So welcome aboard. Our fellow fans. Yes. Welcome Engage. Aboard. Let's go. Um, so yeah, let's so should we get into there. the episode? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, let's see. We have, want to talk a little bit about the writing. So uh, this episode, the Enterprise crew go on their first mission, which is to investigate the mystery of Farpoint Station. But on the way, they are stopped by a mysterious, all-powerful being. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. I think, and uh, I was noting, this is the only episode that's straight, that opens straight into the opening sequence. So you don't have the lead in. It's just like straight into the music. Yeah, it opens straight into the opening sequence. Ooh. And they also don't have in the... Um, like in the cast uh, mm -hmm. list, they don't have um, any character names. They just have the cast names. Yeah. So in, in a sense, the first character, I'm putting this in quotation marks, that we're introduced to is the Enterprise itself. 
it is. We get a great, like, head-on shot of the Enterprise. You don't see that very often. Usually it's, like, at an angle. Fancy galaxy-class Enterprise D. It's so slick. It's so snazzy. And Um, then this old, grumpy captain. That's how I thought of Picard. Seriously, when I was a kid and you're like, okay, it's the next generation. Everything's going to be new. You got this new, slick, galaxy-class, all rounded edges and and smooth lines of the galaxy-class Enterprise. And then you're like, but then it's this old, grumpy man. When I was a kid and they introduced Picard, I thought he had climbed out of a sarcophagus. He seems so old. I will say, I (laughs) I mean, I didn't... I wasn't comparing it to the previous show, but I definitely thought he was old when I watched this as a child. And yep. now looking at it, I cannot believe how young he looks. Like yeah. that face has no wrinkles on it. No, so here's <laughs> something to think about. Picard in when he was so when Patrick Stewart started playing Picard in 1987, I was looking this up the other day. Right now he is only um I think he's only eight years older than I am right now wow. in that episode. So I was wow. like now I'm climbing up. I'm getting to the age of my of my mentors. You know, as if they don't age. Time to get into that sarcophagus, Matt. Oh my god! I know. And now looking back on, it, you're like, he's not that old. What was I thinking? But when you're he like really seven is. or whatever, yeah. you're like, you think it's like, why do you have this old grump? And he was. He was kind of grumpy. They first have Picard as kind of this. Grumpy yeah. Guy, no, but. he's he's a he's a bit of a grumpy grumpy guy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it's a really weird like introduction so we get the ship and then we see picard we go like through a window it's not super clear where we are but we see like a silhouette of picard yeah and then we see him and he's kind of walking around the ship so we're getting to see what the new ship looks like we see the new uniforms they're very different from the original trek uniforms and also from the uniforms in the movies we can see there are characters wearing pants and there are characters wearing skirts but it is not the case that all of the men wear pants and all of the women wear skirts it's there's a Bit more diversity yes right if you have pants you're this is a onesie this is a one-piece uniform and yes. um i think visually they made a point of saying that this is not the uniforms of the movies um especially like the the original series movies it's kind of very traditional naval almost i would say militarized type uniforms that is not what these are um yeah. and i think the tone is also set there by picard where he says their mission is is one of exploration. He says, we're heading to Deneb 4, uh, beyond which is the unexplored mass of the galaxy, right? So yeah. this idea that we are on the edges of known space and we are about to head out farther than we've ever gone before. That's what we're doing with Next Generation. We are going farther than we've ever gone. Yeah, and we're, we're exploring. We're not... We're exploring. We're not fighting. We're not fighting. Um, so he, yeah, so he goes onto the bridge. Um, it's a very, it's interesting. His first line is very like, it reminds me of a play. It's very theatrical. He just kind of, it's as though he's in the middle of a, of a conversation. He says, you will agree, Data, that Starfleet's orders are difficult. <laughs> it's really interesting. Like, it feels like it belongs on a stage. Maybe it's just Patrick Stewart's delivery. Hard to know. Yeah, because that's but, where he's coming from. He's coming yeah. from stage training, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. But yeah, so basically their their mission is to go to this Farpoint station. And as Picard puts it, snoop around a little bit. Um and Data doesn't know that word, which is how we learn that Data has been programmed because Picard's like, all this knowledge that's been programmed into you and you don't you don't know the word snoop. And his Data's thought is um, maybe it's a behavior that he wasn't designed to emulate. So he's, that kind of implies a sense of innocence. Yeah, it's brilliant, actually, because yeah. you, you get an introduction to Data straight away through that so you're you know what the mission is and you get an introduction to the first of the supporting cast data you learn that he's an android and like you said that there's this air of innocence uh about him and that's kind of that's sort of jada's entire journey right is i would say yeah. uh growth toward humanity but I, almost in a way a kind of loss of innocence yeah um i would i say culminate more toward the movies but yeah. uh but yeah definitely yeah, so so that's that's the plan. They're gonna go check out Farpoint Station and solve its mystery. We solve don't know what that mystery is yet. Um, but then Troy senses something. Troy with her beautiful, massive, massive hair <laughs> and yeah. her braided gold, silver, and bronze headband. Amazing. And her she's she's opted to wear the uh, skirt version of the uniform or dress, I guess, and it comes yeah. with very tall boots. Um, anyway, but she is in a uniform. Oh, yeah. She's in yeah. uniform. She's in uniform. 
<laughs> let's keep an eye on that. Yeah, that'll change. <laughs> she's, she's in a uniform. Um, but but she senses, so we learn that she senses things, yep. um, a very powerful mind. And then uh, the only way I can describe it is a musketeer shows up on the bridge. Yeah, it kind of looks at that that era, right? He's yeah. supposed to be a, a in some kind of captain's garb, he said, but probably from that century. I don't know which century yeah. that is, but I have yeah. no idea. But yeah. he's speaking in also like Shakespearean type English almost. Thou um, art notified that thy kind has infiltrated the galaxy too far already. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost there are sort of like anti-colonial undertones to his to what he's saying, but I feel oh, like it's by accident. Oh, okay. I don't I don't think that was necessarily intentional because as we find out as the episode goes like this character is all powerful. Right. It's not like he's like leave us alone. You're coming into our space. Instead it's like my people have decided that you cannot explore at all anymore. So it's it's instead right. this sort of paternalistic um attitude but it almost has these ideas of like like no you've gone too far away from you're 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 butting into areas where you don't belong right yeah not only that you're you're going out too far because you are undeserving of going yeah. out too far because yeah. he starts talking about humanity as a as an as a contemptible race and yeah. he freezes one of the crew members. So he freezes a crew member and Picard's trying to say, hey, we're, we're going to hurt you. He holds up the phaser and the phaser's on stun. He's like, don't you know what the stun setting? And his response is, knowing humans as thou dost, Captain, would thou be captured helpless by them? Implying that humans are are terrible beings. Yeah. And, and at the same time, kind of capturing these humans and rendering them helpless. <laughs> So there's a yes. bit of a double standard there. Yeah. Yeah. And he, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because they're in a giant – are they in the field by this point, the big cage? Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. There's there's like a, a, a fence. The wavy energy a fence. powerful <laughs> force field or or perhaps even solid. It's hard to know, but they yeah. can't they can't go. And yeah, so he, like he doesn't explain why they have why they have to go back. So there's a bit of a, a double standard there that he has the Enterprise at his mercy. But then at the same time, we don't fully know that yet because we – we're not really sure what this character can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he sort of starts to cycle through uh, different uniforms. So he puts on like a, I don't know, what is it? Like an American World War One, World War Two, I guess, uh, uniform. Oh, probably, it might be later than that because they're already, he's starting to talk about like fighting the commies and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that so, too, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't deny you're a dangerous, savage child race, he says. Yeah, yeah. Um, he talks about like when back when we had silly arguments about how to divide resources, which I would say very much describes the state of affairs right now, I think. Yeah. Or, or how to divide resources is really like a that's integral to capitalism, right? You have to create this false sense of scarcity to Oh, totally, yeah. Um and I, I thought it was you know, you're remembering the audience that Star Trek is tailored to and the fact that it is produced in the United States. Um, and Picard looks at him when he's wearing a military uniform. And we know that, you know, military culture in the States is a big deal. Uh, and he says, uh, um, it's been so long since we or we've evolved so long since we wore costumes like those. And in a way, it's, you know, it's a stab. I think it's a stab at nationalism um, mm. in a sense. And kind of this idea of, and again, we kind of touched on this earlier about Star Trek switch between almost kind of militarized versus non-militarized looking uniforms. Um, but, you know, he's, you're saying like, this is a path that we we don't associate with anymore. We think it's silly. These kind of like the symbolism of it, the, the um you know, the, the quarrels over resources, this idea of scarcity, whether fake or real scarcity, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, and then and then Q kind of counters that by saying, yeah, but even in your farther, more distant past, you're quarreling over tribal god images like, um, you know, and 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 even even after this point, you end up at a time where you make more rapid progress. He switches to that kind of like bulky. Uh, I guess more future-looking military uniform, and he says at this time, it's like a parka. It looks like a parka, yeah. It's some kind of <laughs> space war parka. Uh, yeah. And this is a time where humans have now learned to control their military with drugs, which we've also done. You know, learning more about that. I was watching some uh, even World War II documentaries, and we we're talking about that we were feeding, you know, uh, stimulants to soldiers in that time as well. Right. Yeah. So I mean, he's going over the sort of human track record 
the the real nonfiction stuff that had happened before this show aired and then the fictional stuff that is apparently to come. And humans don't have a great track record. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, he's not wrong. Um, yeah. And he's saying like, okay, so now you've stopped doing this stuff on your own planet, sure, but now you're out in space same, doing the same thing. You found more people to fight with, found more people to murder, same old story all over again. But Picard says that Q is being uh, self-righteous. He says that, you know, you can't make me feel ashamed of our past. I already know our past, which I wonder if he's got a little bit of, if that's a little bit of like overly confident, if there's a bit of like hubris there almost that he's like, I don't know, like, like he's like, no, I know all of the things we've done wrong, but can you really ever know all of the things you've done wrong? I wonder. Well, it's that's it's a really good point because I think um, that sort of sets up the tone, I would say, of almost all the rest of Star Trek is this idea of whether or not we have actually successfully detached ourselves from our history, from our past. So have we actually evolved past all of that stuff? Um, the yeah. war of our history, um, poverty, because they always say that all the time, like disease, poverty, war. We've we've done away with all of that stuff now, and this is the better future that we have, and yeah. which is awesome. That's why I think a lot of people love Star Trek because it is the uh, it's the the representation of this better future that we could we yeah. could we could be capable of having. It's optimistic. It's very it is optimistic, and Q comes in and he says, "But is the seed of that still there?" Is the seed of what humanity is, this sort of destructive nature, is it still implanted in all of these institutions that you created? So are you really that much yeah. better than you were? Uh, so there's kind of this accusation. And I made a note to myself. I was like, I wonder if that's where <laughs> the word Q comes from. He's like an accuser, accusations. Like I was like, I wonder if like for shorthand, they wrote in a script Q and it just stuck. I was thinking about that afterwards. I was like, Man, that's where that comes from. <laughs> I hope so. I hope that's right. That'd be cool. Maybe someone will hear this and they'll be like, you're right. That's how we got the name. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but basically Picard, he actually, he accidentally gives Q an idea by, by accusing him. Yes. Of of accusing them and acting like a, like a judge. Yeah. Um, So Q's like, all right, sounds good. I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you later. I'll see you later. I, he's like, (laughs) that gives me an idea. And then they're like, yeah, let's try to. Get away from him. So then they, it proceeds to have this dramatic sequence wh- where they they try to accelerate the ship as fast as it'll go. This is a chance for them to also kind of show off the Enterprise a little bit and what it can do. We know it goes really fast. Um, I don't yeah. know why they think they're able to outrun a being that can just like pop in and out of time and space wherever it wants to. Um, yeah, it's not it's not super clear. No. Although I'm, I wasn't totally sure if they wanted to outrun Q, or if they just wanted to go really fast, put as much distance between them as they could, and then do the like separation. Right, thing. right. Because this and is this is like you said. This is the other thing where they get to show how the ship splits in half. Um, yes, which was supposed to be awesome and cool, but um, they kind of drop this later in Star Trek. We're not really we don't really do it much later because they say it actually you can actually kind of slows down these dramatic sequences, waiting for them to separate the ship apart. It really does. I timed it. It's almost. It's not quite, but it's almost a full minute. From the time, like, they start separating to the time yep. they they are, like, Data says, okay, we have separated. Yeah. Um, With this dramatic music minute. over top and all the rest so of it. So dramatic. The theme song of yeah. the end of ba, the show. Ba, da, da. Um, one thing that I kind of like, so originally, apparently, when they wrote the character of Q, the, they intended him to be, like, multiple characters. And so every time you see him in a new costume, it was actually meant to be, um, like, a new like a new version of Q. Um, And you can kind of, if you know that and you're looking for it, you can kind of see it the way John Delancey plays those, like plays all of them. He does a really good job of like being slightly different. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening because of that is they talk about the hostile, but then they also, because it's more than one, they refer to Q as they, which because Q ended up being just one character, turns it into like a singular they non-gendered pronoun that they're using, which I kind of like. Oh, um, cool, they, cool, yeah. They accidentally did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they they evacuate the, the star drive, so the bottom section of the ship. They send everyone into the saucer section. And during that time, we see like some of the diversity. They've got some racial diversity on the ship. They've got a lot of people in drapey clothing. Um, they've got 
Vulcans. Um, they have what looks to be men in the like the dress uniforms, but those guys have shorter boots right. than Troy. And uh, then they send off some torpedoes to not attack Q, but just to distract. So they're thinking like it's all it's it's safety first. And then in the star drive, we've got Picard, Troy, uh, Yar, Data, and an unnamed officer played by Cole Meany. Right, who's he's <laughs> not he's not O'Brien yet. He's just a dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so so they're they're in the star drive, and Picard has Troy send out the message: "We surrender." It's so dramatic. We're not going to fight. So dramatic. Yeah, and, this is going to be a short. That's it, yeah, that's it, we're done. Then it's like <laughs> that's it. And the whole rest of the show is just Worf commanding a bunch of children in the saucer section. That's that's like the whole rest of the series. Can you imagine that? He's like, go back to your yeah. room. <laughs> like yelling at kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think he'd grow. Yeah, he probably would. Yeah, he he would have ended up being a better dad this way. (laughs) Um. All right. So then we switch to he's we've surrendered, and so now um Troy, Data, Yar, and Picard are in a courtroom, um, a post atomic horror, uh, with with Q as their judge. Yeah, accusing them of multiple and grievous savageries of the species. And you know, I gotta say, I agree with Picard that like that's not an accusation. No, it's not, it's very general, right? And, and actually, Data yeah. makes a good point there. He says that in the past, I guess, I don't know if this is an actual... I Actually, this is something I should have looked up. I don't know if this is an actual UN declaration or not. There might be something similar to it. But he states that... Or I think he says the new United Nations. So this might yeah, be... Yeah, I think, I think it's post, post. Yeah, I wonder if we yeah. do have something similar to it. But he says the UN is declared, or the new United Nations has declared that no Earth citizen could answer for the crimes of his race. Which is... That's fascinating, right? Because we do that... That's mm-hmm. how racism happens right a lot of the times we we accuse an entire people group based on the actions of one or two individuals uh while some some people get that accusation everyone else some others though that's always excused away it's just that one individual Mm -hmm. the lone wolf right yeah 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 no i mean definitely if depending on the race that you are of it you can like be accused or 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 excused yeah Yeah, but I think also like what what data is getting at, which is also something that happens in like in in real life now, is that you can't declare someone a representative of a group of people who like just happen to share maybe like a biological characteristic. Yeah, or something exactly. Like that, like you can't you can't have someone. It's it's not just that like okay, well, you know, one person of. One human did this thing, so now we're going to apply it to all people. But you also can't be like, well, humans in general are like this, so then now I'm going to blame you for being like this because other humans are like that. So you can't you can't go from the general to the specific or from the specific to the general. So yeah, so they're in this courtroom being being on trial for for humans sucking. Yeah, basically. don't suck humans. Um, and Picard is like, it's interesting. He's not playing along like he's he's playing a really delicate game so like when someone says the prisoners will all stand because it's just uh yar and picard who are standing troy and data are sitting picard sits down and like signals that yar should also sit down and that troy and data should remain Mm -hmm. sitting um so he's like being very strategically disobedient even though troy is like be careful this is not an illusion like this it doesn't make any sense, but this is real. Tasha Yar makes a really impassioned speech about how she grew up and and how she um, – we, we don't know a whole lot. It's kind of a hint of stuff that we will hopefully learn more of, but that basically this court should be on its knees and like worshipping what Starfleet is and what the Federation is because she grew up in a situation much more like – where this court comes from and was saved by people like the crew of the Enterprise. You know, you'd think then like an immediate jump, and I don't know if this was intentional or not in the point of the writing, but uh, you'd think Q would then say, well, yeah, didn't you grow up on a colony of humans? And aren't they still all treating each other this way? Like if so, if Yara says she's coming from a place that still is is awful to live in, she mm-hmm. you know later on mm-hmm. she'll go on to cite things like rape gangs and uh, you know and poverty and that kind yeah. of thing. So um, I'm assuming yeah. that this colony is not 
part of the Federation or it's not within the within the boundaries of what the Federation does. So she does mention specifically yeah. that the court should get on its knees to what Starfleet represents. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. There's there's still more. It's it's kind of interesting. There's more of a gray zone there. Like, are we talking about humanity? Or are we just talking about like the institution of the Federation and Starfleet? It's it's not exactly clear there. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's it is really ambiguous there. Um, but she is she is frozen for her troubles. Uh, she is covered in ice, much like the bridge officer earlier on was. And it's interesting, like you know, she's not saying anything that's much different from what Picard was saying. I feel like there's a certain amount of like. You know, like because she's passionate about it, and this is something that happens a lot. That when someone is upset or angry or just like really passionate about something, that they are then discounted because they can't talk about it rationally or logically. They're just like overly, you know, they're they're overly passionate. Yeah, and I would say, and and you know, I would I would love your your input on this, but I think that's especially true of women. Yeah, absolutely. Like women are women are too emotional. If if women are emotional, we discredit their 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 views or objectives or viewpoints on. Yeah, things. absolutely. I mean, it 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 definitely happens along sort of gender lines. It also happens along like racial lines. Like there's an idea of like mm-hmm. you have to you have to show that you are submissive to the the person or the group of people that have power, right? If you don't, so if a woman is not uh, sufficiently, what's the word? Like, like it doesn't sufficiently like placate the feelings of the man, then she's out of line, even though what she's saying is not much different from what Picard was saying. Yeah. And I'd say there's also like, in terms of like what she, like she's talking from her own personal experience. Picard wasn't. And there's, that is also something that gets really um, turned against people who suffer any kind of injustice, that when they're talking about their personal experience, then people will then say, well, you're too close to that matter. So you can't actually have an objective viewpoint on it, which is nonsense because there is no objective viewpoint on injustice or oppression. Either you're on the receiving end of it or you're indirectly benefiting from other people being on the receiving end of wow, it. Wow, yeah. So no one, no one is objective here. Yeah. Um, but but there, it defi- there were definitely like tones in, in this scene of like Yar yelling and speaking really passionately um, and then basically getting in trouble for, for not being calm. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me like when when these things happen, these conversations happen either like uh, you know from a large group of people, like in a protest, or you know whether it's on screen or in a courtroom. There's always that idea that call for civility. Well, we need to be civil. But I I find that that I find that really oh it gets me angry because those calls for civility are usually a call for silence. Yes, or what they are. And no matter how quote unquote civil that might be, there's still an outrage over it. So. You know, we're actually, you know, let's take an example of now. So right now we have armed white militia in parts of the world that are storming government buildings that are saying, hey, let's get these lockdowns uh, removed. And for some reason, that anger is seen as righteous. It's normally it's coming from men. Yep. Uh, and somehow that is it's righteous from, anger. from white folks, too. <laughs> yeah. But when people of color, say, decide to kneel at the national anthem at a football game. Yeah. That is somehow less civil. Yeah. And that's astonishingly hypocritical. Yeah, it's, it's almost as though it's not about the action itself and it's about the people performing the actions. Yeah, oh, yeah it definitely <laughs> almost, is. Almost, almost, yeah, no, yeah. it is. I mean, and that's, I think, sort of where I don't, I don't think in writing this show, I don't think that like DC Fontana or Gene Roddenberry were thinking like, let's show this, this thing. I think I you know, sort of by accident or, um, you know, they, they showed it's, and I, I, you know, if it were intentional, it, it might actually work well, but because it's sort of by accident, I think it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, the woman who has shown herself to be a badass, right? Earlier, she kicked a guy in the chest. Yep. Um, and then she speaks out a turn and is punished for that. It may have not been super intentional in the writing, but how many women could relate to being silenced in a court of law when speaking from their own personal perspective of assault and violence? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Being being silenced, being ignored, being minimized. But one of the things I think that that is unfortunate about it is that in so many ways, like Star Trek shows 
a world where that doesn't have to be the case, but then you mm-hmm. see the writer's unconscious biases come in and they make that the case again. So those those patterns repeat themselves. Yeah, and, and these issues are being brought up uh, frequently now in writing. We're, we're hearing more of mainstream conversations around these biases appearing, but this was back in 1987. So th- yeah. there weren't yeah. as much calls for that kind of change yet, no. as progressive as some of these episodes still are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So they discuss how courts have changed throughout time. They're apparently at some point in the future, we're going to have a time where rather than having innocent until proven guilty, we're going to have guilty until proven innocent, which I mean, I would argue is in some ways the system that we have right now because, you know, we have people who are stuck in prison because they can't pay their like bail charges and like yeah i mean there are still some court systems in existence in some places now where that is still true um yeah so and 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 you know and let's not also like over idealize our own judicial system yeah absolutely not um and so q tells his soldiers to shoot data and troy if picard pleads anything other than guilty which again i think is interesting like this is supposed to be so you know, inhumane. But I mean, people plead guilty for all sorts of reasons other than actually being guilty, right? They plead guilty because then they can reach a plea bargain and not have to go through like a long, expensive court process. Like, so... Or because um, they actually don't think they're allowed to say or speak the truth. Right. That they won't be believed anyway. Yeah, even if if it's not their truth. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So Picard does plead guilty, but... Like, provisionally. Right. Yes. Provisionally. So, Isn't he, yeah, I think he yells that even. Yeah. Gets everyone's yeah. attention. He asks to be tested. Yeah. He asks to be tested. And so so we link the two plots, the Farpoint Station and this interruption that we've got. <clears throat> we link them together that, you know, are these things that you're accusing us of, are they presently true of humans? Watch us and find out. Yeah. And... That it's brilliant because I think, in a way, especially knowing we have some foresight or foreknowledge here, because we know that the whole series of Next Generation comes back full circle to this courtroom in the last episode in season seven and in all good things. Um, so in some ways, this is like I, I kind of wonder if this is the the show setting itself up that the whole series is kind of this test of humanity. We're, and we we are always thinking of this, of Star Trek. It's This tone has now been set by Q, is we're constantly looking toward these characters and their adventures, not just in this episode, but I think all the ones to come, as to a model or example of humanity and asking, is this true still of humanity? Are the things that we're struggling with in our society, how do we... Um, how are we dealing with them in the future? It's interesting. I think I think yes, in some ways. I think you're you're absolutely right. And I also think like one thing I've heard is that this was sort of the writer's way of telling audiences to give this new Star Trek a chance. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. That it was like Q is kind of the stand-in for the audience in some ways and like let us let us show you what we can do. So yeah. you loved that original Trek and and you think we're going to ruin everything because when, you know, when you have a sequel or a, a reboot of something, it always ruins it. <laughs> Give us a chance. Test us. Yeah. So, All right. So I think there was there was a little bit of that. Um, so and, and Q agrees. Um, he's pretty smug. He thinks that they're not going to be able to to figure out what's going on at Farpoint Station. Yeah, he says you may not be clever enough to deal with what lies ahead of you which i wrote i wrote a note down about that i thought that was an interesting line because up until now we haven't really been talking about human intelligence uh we've been talking more about uh, about empathy and compassion and and ethics and morality so but he says i i don't think you're going to be clever enough to deal with what lies mm-hmm. ahead of you yeah yeah interesting that's a good point i mean i maybe and again i don't know if this is what the writers intended but i one could argue that cleverness isn't just raw intelligence, but it's how you put your intelligence together with your empathy and your compassion and how can yeah. you thread that. Emotional intelligence. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, and then they're back on the on the battle bridge. Um, and O'Brien's like, hey, what's up? Yeah, he, he, as, <laughs> he according to, to him, no time has passed. He's like, they're yeah. like, they're like, where, what's our destiny? What's our, where, where are we going? What are we doing? And it's not, he's like, same 
same place we were always going. Like what? <laughs> whether whether on the bridge or in the transporter room, poor O'Brien's always just watching everyone else go on adventures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool meanie! What a what a guy! Don't worry, his time will come. His yeah. time will come. Yeah. Um. So then we cut to Farpoint Station. So we we meet Commander William Riker. He is set to be the first officer of. So young. Yes, he is so young. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so fresh. It's a baby face, right? It's a baby face. Yeah. Right, his, yeah. His face is just so, wow. Like, so Smoother fresh. than an android's bottom. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, so he, so he's on Farpoint Station and he's doing a little bit of snooping around, uh, to use a word from earlier in the episode. He goes to talk to the, administrator of Farpoint Station who goes by the title of Groppler Zorn. Groppler Zorn. Now, is Groppler his title or is that his first name? Is his name like Groppler? Is that some... Because title, it's a cool title name. I, I, th- I, th- I thought it was the title. Yeah, I thought it was the, like he's the Groppler I, and his name I hadn't is thought Zorn. of that until you yeah. said it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, all right, that's our title. I'm going to yeah. use that now. I'm going to I'm gonna start putting that yeah. in emails. Yeah. Groppler Matt. Matt. Matt is the Groppler of this podcast. <laughs> Groppler of this place. <laughs> of podcast. <laughs> I don't know what all my right. title is yet, but I'm not Groppler. I'll be something else. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so we get like a hint that something is not going, going, or well, so something, something's weird. Something weird is going on. So, um, like the, the station was built really fast and it seems to be like faster than the people, they're called the Bandy, the people who live on this, on this planet were able to, uh, w- should have been able to, to build it. Um, and then at one point, Riker, mentions that he would love an apple when Zorn offers him like fruit from Earth and he's like, Oh, do you have an apple? And there are no apples, and then all of a sudden there's a bowl of apples. So we're seeing like some something weird is going on. Um and also I think importantly, uh they talk about that there's this planet has re- is really rich in thermal energy. Right. Yeah, and Riker leaves the room and and Groppler begins speaking to the room, it looks like. Yeah. But we, we get the sense that there's some other presence here and he's upset that these apples have just appeared and he says, you will be punished. You will be punished. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so then Riker uh, heads out to like some, I don't know, like a courtyard and open. Oh, actually, no, before that, we get a, an establishing shot of Farpoint Station and the city beside it and we can see they are constructed very differently. Like yeah, Farpoint the old Station is, is like old west. Yeah, it's like super... Um, dusty and yeah and and like farpoint station is shiny and slick and futuristic um so very very different but yeah so then Riker goes to like a i don't know like a mall or something the space market yeah and he shouts across a crowded courtyard dr crusher (laughs) which i think like i have a lot of i have a lot of love for Riker, but that was that was obnoxious they hadn't learned to use their communicators for things yet. Yeah, yeah. Or even yeah. just like walk up to someone before shouting, like before saying their name. Yeah, <laughs> You don't you need enough. to holler. Um, yeah, if I think about it, I've never yelled that across like a food court at yeah. anyone before. I'm yeah. like, hi! Everyone's trying to eat. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and Crusher is like super not interested in hanging out with Riker. Yeah, he's, he's, she's, she is not impressed. She's, and you know, I we because we learn like later on in the scene that her uh, – She's with her son, Wesley, and his father, so presumably her uh, partner passed away when Wesley was very little. Like, I wonder if she's just had to deal with men just, like, being, ugh, you know? Forward. Forward or, like, trying to, you know, being like, oh, like, let me help you with that little lady. And she's like, no, I'm a, I am a capable human being. Like, You have a trained doctor. Leave me alone. Yeah. Crush is like, Um, she's just shy around men she doesn't know, which is pretty, like, That's uh like for Wesley to just butt in and say that is pretty annoying. <laughs> it is. It is annoying. And and then the other thing that annoys me is like she to me her body language and her tone all of this is saying to Riker just like I don't feel like hanging out right now. Just like go away. Not in like not that Riker's like harassing her or that he's like necessarily, you know, doing anything untoward but just she doesn't feel like hanging out with him which is fine but then she's like proven wrong all of a sudden so it's similar like to tasha yar like speaking out and then being frozen i feel like there's like he basically says he wants to investigate some weird stuff that's happening at this station and she's like okay do whatever you want i'm the doctor of the ship i don't need to impress the captain um 
But then this fabric that she's looking at changes when she says it would look nice with gold and it changes to have some gold incorporated into it. And then, so it's, there's a little bit of like, you know, she, this, you know, snotty woman should have just listened to what the man said. Again, like, I don't think that was the intentional message that the writers were sending, but I think that was their unconscious bias coming out. Yeah, I think there's a one point there where Riker has a conversation with Crusher and realizes that Crusher knows the captain personally. And I think mm-hmm. I think there might have been some implication that Crusher figured that he knew that ahead of time and so was trying to ingratiate himself upon her to make an impression on the captain. And she makes some comment toward that as well, that he, oh. that she, you know, it's it's that he's like, he's trying to impress the captain. And I'm like, oh, maybe he she figured that they that he knows that, sh- that they know each other personally right. and so is trying to approach her and talk to her. I, I got it as different. I I thought it was more that just him saying like, oh, I wanted to investigate this thing. And she was like, okay, you're trying to like, you know, already have part of the mission done before the ship even gets here. Right. So less about, less about her connection with the captain, um, but just like, you know, you're... You're an eager, eager beaver trying to suck up to the captain. Trying to suck up to the captain until they <laughs> yeah. see that there's, you know, this bolt of fabric actually changes in front of their eyes. Yeah. Um, so Crusher and Dr. Crusher, so Wesley Crusher, Dr. Crusher head back to like the Enterprise. But uh, Riker makes like this comment about excitement to Wesley and how the, the journey ahead of them. He's like, are you excited? And and it was, I was kind of, I thought it was cool because knowing what's to come in the, not just in TNG, but how they launches like a whole new series of franchises uh, for, for Star Trek. It is kind of an exciting time. And I was excited too when he said that. I'm like, yeah, we're getting yeah. to board the Enterprise and go on its first adventure. And I thought they captured that pretty well in that scene. It was cool. And I think especially it's it's especially kind of nice because Will Wheaton was a fan of Star Trek, and in a lot of ways he has become like a stand-in for fans. Oh, like totally. West, the Wesley character, and also Will Wheaton, just kind of generally that he's like the fan. Yeah. So it's like this. It's on a kind of meta level. Riker is asking this fan of the previous show if he's excited for these new adventures, and and Wesley's like, yeah. So excited. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, as a young person watching the show, I I always related to Wesley. And because he was the he was the kid on the show, right? right? He was the one that's like growing up and wants to be a part of the adventures that are going on here, wants to eventually join Starfleet and and become an ensign and an officer and 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 then you know eventually goes off in his own way. But you you follow his journey. When I was a kid, I was tied into Wesley's mm-hmm. journey. I wanted to be like Wesley. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's true of a lot of a lot of kids. Unfortunately, like in a lot of ways, Wesley was an unpopular character. And I think we'll get to that later on. And I think there are mm-hmm. some good reasons for that. But I also think a lot of that is like yeah, just his kind of unbridled enthusiasm and earnestness doesn't always match up with like a broader culture that wants to be more cynical and ironic. Yeah. And that was me. I was that kid. (laughs) I was that kid with unbridled enthusiasm, unbridled enthusiasm that sometimes rubbed off of people's nerves. I was that (laughs) kid. So I, I get that. Like, you know, where you just like, you're like, but I want to show, I want to be a part of the things and I want to show you that I can do them too. You know, like I was that kid. So I get it. Um, So there's one more character that we have not met and who we will now meet. And that is Jordy LaForge. Mm -hmm. He shows up and kind of just starts talking to Riker. He's like, well, the Enterprise has just arrived. And Riker like stops him and asks him if it's an official report. And he like stands up much straighter and he says, Lieutenant LaForge reporting that the Enterprise has arrived. It basically tells him exactly the same information, but but he just just does it with a stiffer back. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. he's like, is this an official report? Stand straight. Um, But, you know, he's got a, he has to work on his, you know, being the first officer. That's right. Everyone's pal. And yeah, so and 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 Picard wants to see Riker right away. So it's just the star drive that has arrived. It's not the saucer section yet. Um, <clears throat> but so so uh, Riker beams up to the star drive, and it's it's so funny this scene. The way the way they wrote, I think all of the characters really changed as the series progressed. Um, but like in this scene, Picard is just so distanced. From everything. So like Tasha Yar mm-hmm. meets him in the transporter room and won't tell him what's happening. She's like, nope, that's for the captain to tell you. 
Picard is like, okay, well, go watch this video that we've edited of what just happened. Um, yeah, as someone who edits video, <laughs> I wondered who had the time to put that together. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have taken a while. <laughs> also, like, I didn't realize they had cameras on the bridge. Just, in- well, they do. It's from all the, the crew shooting the episode. Yeah, so yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, again, <laughs> we're not actually watching a television show. We're just watching footage of this. <laughs> yeah. But it gets the point across. It summarizes. Here's all the things that happen. Yeah. It's weird to me. Like, yeah. it, they could have done that in, like, a scene that we didn't see that's like they could have had like Picard say to Tasha you know brief our new first officer on what happened and then he comes in with the information we didn't have to see him watch it but anyway we did that's how they decided to do yeah, it that's that's a good point and they could have even showed some of it because then he have a chance to see Riker actually interact with another character yeah. rather than just sitting in yeah, front of yeah, the yeah, screen yeah. watching no. things we've they already decided seen. that would be the way to go <laughs> Yep. All right. Um, so then, uh, so he he's like, okay, that's a interesting adventure you've you've gone on. It doesn't include the court scene because I guess there were no cameras there. And so then he goes and chats with Picard in his ready room. As they're talking, the saucer section shows up, and Picard says that Riker is going to reconnect the saucer section to the star drive manually. Um, and it's, it's, it's so odd. Like, I don't, why do you think he did that? Like, I, I see, I was, I thought about that too. Yeah. Because obviously, um, there's an automatic mode for this, I suppose. And I guess, they're trying to yeah. imply that it would just do it on its own. Um, maybe it's to shake him down, like just give him something really challenging to do so that his jitters are gone afterwards and he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. Although like, if it's that dangerous and then you know that the, like we, we've, we've, separated the saucer section so that none of those people are in danger <laughs> so because it's full of like kids and stuff and then we're like but now we're gonna like try to connect these two giant starship pieces together manually which might kill everybody the, so where where my mind kind of went was like it's this thing that's because later on picard says like it's routine but then you also get the sense that they don't do it that much so like yeah. it's it's weird enough that it's like impressive and will maybe make you a little nervous but it's also simple enough that it's probably safe and so maybe he wanted to like have Riker do this sort of challenging thing so that the crew would feel safe with him oh yeah maybe See, that'd be something a good, good like that. Le- strategic leadership yeah decision. but yeah. I mean Picard's right. a little all over the place in this episode I'll get more to that in a sec but so they yeah. they uh he reconnects the star drive and the saucer section and I timed that and it was just under a minute and a half from the time yeah. he gives the first order about velocity to the time that you hear this sound of like metal hitting metal. So that also took a freaking long time. Yeah, it's another one of these things that's supposed to be kind of dramatic, but sort of drags out a wee bit. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would have been really cool, like, because the original Enterprise didn't do that, right? Like in, in original Trek? No, there was there was always um, like in, in storyboard drawings for some of the episodes and then for even Star Trek, the motion picture, uh, there was implications that the Enterprise could separate its saucer section. So that idea had been around for a long time, but had never been implemented. Uh, ever. Okay, so so like it's, this is a new thing for the audiences to get excited about. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, it just isn't very interesting to look at no not really i mean so they they do it it happens but i was thinking like first of all i was like how did the saucer section even get there it doesn't have warp drive so like i obviously it showed up late but not that much later than the rest of the ship did so you're like but i would be more interested in the fact that like again Worf was put in charge of the saucer section and it would have been cool (laughs) to see this new klingon character trying to handle the saucer section and getting it back to where it was supposed to go and giving out orders and stuff i think that would have been yeah i think also probably worth mentioning like we're Coming off of, I mean, what's the last movie that would have come out at this point? Star Trek Five. So uh, yeah, but four, either four or five. So yeah. I mean, Klingons and the Federation last we saw were not on great terms, right? Like, no, no, yeah, including Worf was a big deal. That yeah. was huge that so, we had that that had happened. And not only that, but like Picard put him in command of the saucer section. So we don't have the story yet, and like we got it as more movies were created and then a little bit with like in this show we got a little bit more of the history but yeah there things have changed (laughs) yeah definitely yeah yeah it was it is that that would have been interesting to see for sure 
Yeah, then this new peaceful era. Yeah, you know that was, and if if they wanted to signal that really strongly, which I think they're they're trying to do throughout this episode, is that humanity has become more peaceful. Starfleet even mm-hmm. maybe has become more peaceful than we've seen during the Kirk era, but certainly having a, a Klingon on the ship that is signaling to the audience yes. that this is a new era. These yeah. are people that we were at peace with or uh, uh, at war with, and now at peace with, and maybe even kind of. Like, I, I don't know, way it, it, it's kind of foreshadowing, too, like, in, in, from the writer's point of view, because the Klingons, as I understand it, in the original series, were supposed to be representative of the Soviet Union. And 1987, the Berlin Wall hadn't still fallen yet. So it's kind of predictive in that sense. Things can be better, folks. Yeah, right? And that's, yeah, so that, yeah, definitely, even when I was younger, as a kid, um, knowing the Klingons were the bad guys. You know, those are the ones that Kirk was always chasing around uh, right. and vice versa. So having a Klingon on the ship, that was a big deal for back then. So yeah. um, Worf doesn't get to really flex his character muscles much in this episode. Uh, this, yeah. I thought, so I thought this would have been a chance to do it. They they really, if they gave Worf command of the saucer section, having some scenes with that would have been cool. Yeah, but then we might have to miss Riker yelling across a crowded mall. So. Yeah, or, you know, him <laughs> sitting down and watching scenes we'd already seen before. Yeah. So yeah, yes. <laughs> Anyways, so, uh, uh, anyway, so then uh, Picard and Riker go into a darkened conference room and uh, discuss. They sort of debate like Riker. It's 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 an interesting scene, and I mean, we get more information on this later on. But I think even like ignoring that, like maybe imagining just seeing this episode, Picard is is arguing with Riker almost, like debating, but also being sort of forceful about his previous his previous mission that he did not let his captain beam down on an away mission because he didn't think it was safe. Um, and there, it's a little ambiguous. I wonder if the writers kind of intentionally left it ambiguous as to whether like this is Picard again, like testing Riker and, and wanting to see just how strong his convictions are, or if they wanted to set up potentially like some tension between Riker and Picard. Maybe they didn't even know at this point. Yeah, I think I think they were kind of leaving it open. That's that's how I interpret that that scene at least because at first he's like so does the captain's rank mean nothing to you and he makes actually like a, a sort of fair point that like when Riker says no but my my job is to make sure the captain stays safe and I take that seriously and Picard's basically like well yeah but you don't get to be captain of a starship without having pretty good judgment about what's safe and what's not. He, he, you know, he makes that point and he's pushing on Riker, but then he sort of backs off and he's like, I want you to use that same, I don't know what, like tenacity, I guess, like that same strong will to help me not make an ass of myself uh, with ch- in front of children. Yeah. And when I, this is one of those things that stood out to me when I was a kid. I, I remember this dialogue um, because when I was younger watching the show and looking for, for me and looking for that sense of family and connection to the characters again and identifying with being a child, uh, when Picard said he didn't like children, it turned me off of his character right away. So I was looking, you know, this changes over time because I, I very much now look back fondly on Picard as, as a space father, space dad. Um, yeah. but this is one of those things that they set up early that I, I'm not sure why exactly they did. Um, you know, it's clear that the Enterprise has kids. That's also new. There weren't families on the previous Enterprise that we saw in the original series. Uh, so this is a new thing, but he he doesn't like children. And it was one of these character choices in his, I, you know, again, they, they deal with in his growth and development. But it was, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why they went that direction with it. But it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I guess this character doesn't like me or wouldn't like me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I remember, I don't know that I remember like this particular scene. I remember seeing it. But I also, before seeing it, I remember knowing that Picard doesn't like kids. Like, yeah. I remember that being a part of his character. And it's interesting. This is definitely one of many times when Star Trek writers will use the tell, don't show version of mm-hmm. storytelling, right? Like, we don't we don't see Picard having any problems with kids. We just hear that he doesn't like they kids. Doesn't, yeah. He says it, like, outright. Um, and I'd also even say, though, like, he says that a captain has to – project an image of geniality um so he he wants Riker to make sure he does that and it's it's interesting I think I mean Patrick Stewart obviously is a phenomenal actor and he does a great job at first of portraying like a certain a certain amount of vulnerability that he's like this is a situation that I am not comfortable in and I need my first officer's help 
Yeah. But then he kind of turns it into an order that's like, see that I do this thing. And that's, I feel not super fair. Because no, how do, you, like, what, well, how do you do that exactly, right? Like, if yeah. I were Riker, I'd be like, so you're giving me an order to make sure that you look nice to other people? Like, yeah, what do you, like or appear nice to them? What so do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do when you're not portraying that air of geniality? Like, you want yeah. me to co- take you aside in front of everybody? And anyway, or, it's, or you're constantly it's like, what the captain means is yeah. that he thinks that it's great that you're playing in the hallways <laughs> with your hoverball. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little, it's, it's, a, it's a weird order to give him. Yeah, it's very strange. Um. So then we then we have a really short scene in uh, sick bay where we learn. So when we met Jordy LaForge, we saw that he had something covering his eyes, and it's a visor. So he was he's chatting with uh, Doctor Crusher. He was born blind. This visor lets him see the electromagnetic spectrum. I got the impression that he was kind of tired of talking about it, like. Yeah, because he just kind of like quotes back a whole bunch yeah. of – it sounds like the marketing pitch for visors yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, I also got the impression that these are not like standard issue because Crusher is like familiar with it but not – you know, like it doesn't seem like she's worked with a lot of people who use them. And the issue is that they are giving Jordy headaches. And I, again, with this, I almost feel like they put this scene in not because it's important that Jordy gets headaches from his visor, but because they wanted us to see a conversation about what it is. So having him have a problem with his visor meant that he would be talking about it with the doctor. Right. They don't don't do much with that in the story. No, and I, I don't think they even bring it up again much later in the series uh, from yeah. what I remember. But uh, maybe it's – they're trying to – I think it was their way of trying to say, like, don't just think that because he has this device that he doesn't still struggle with with not being able to see uh, right. or it still doesn't impact his life in some way. Yeah, so now so now we know what he has on his, on his face because earlier we just saw it across his eyes. And then that brings us to – A cameo. Yes, our final scene – Riker's looking for Data, but Data's not on the bridge because he is taking an admiral to a shuttlecraft to go, who, an admiral who's been looking at sickbay. And who is this admiral, Matthew? It's Admiral McCoy. Is it ever? Admiral Leonard McCoy. Yeah, he is. Unfortunately, he keeps calling Data boy, which is dismissive. Me. It's super dismissive. It also, to me, like, that's a, th- especially, maybe this isn't fair, but he's got like a Southern US accent and he's like an old white man. And it just, you know, there's so many depictions of like old white guys in the South calling black men boy mm-hmm. because like that as a way of kind of like dismissing them and, and, and making them less than. Yeah. So he's, he's, uh, not interested in taking transporter because why would he want his atoms hurled all over the galaxy? Right, which is uh, if if anyone knows McCoy and his character, as soon as that was said as a description, it's going to signal to them who this cameo is going to be because McCoy has yeah. always had an issue using the transporter. Yeah, 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 and he's got he's wearing a great like old like sweater like a cardigan with these shiny elbow patches. It's and so got, good. It's so good. It's so good. He's got bell bottoms that are very reminiscent of his like pre of the uniform from the original series. Yeah, it's it's so well done. Yeah. The costume choices there are really good because they make it's it look really like good. what would what an old man clothing look like in the future? It would be this. And it's it's spot on. <laughs> it's spot on. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. What would someone who was in their youngish middle age in original Trek, what would they look like? in tng what would they dress like and this is this is absolutely it yeah <laughs> so good yeah um he uh he thinks that that data as an android is almost as bad as a vulcan because he's so logical yeah he's like i don't see any pointed ears on you but yeah it's because data data's ability to remember every single fact is uncanny similar to to vulcans i would say there's a parallel between spock and and data oh, uh, in both series yeah. so i yeah. think establishing that and having him walk around with mccoy was was very intentional in order to set up that link you have another character who struggles with emotions or lack of yeah. emotion uh yeah. struggles with the humanity or sense of humanity and and so yeah i think that's that was very that was very intentional yeah and then uh and then mccoy says that um you know it's a new ship but it's got the right name he unfortunately uses the treat her like a lady language. Yes. But basically what he sell, I'll translate that into non-sexist speak. What he says is if you treat this ship right, you're safe. It'll always bring you home. Yeah. And it is home, right? It for, is home. For yeah. them, 
for the the new characters and for a new both old and well a new generation of fans watching the series yes yes it is and it will be it will be it'll continue to be yeah. yeah and uh and that's the end of uh of part one of encounter at farpoint yeah i love mccoy's line where he asks data asks him whether or not he's sensitive about conversation around his age and he's like <laughs> what's so damn troublesome about not having died <laughs> it's true it's <laughs> so absolutely good true. it's such a great mccoy line the first half of encounter at farpoint is is over and uh and i would also i think it's important to add we're setting up a a precedent of for at least the next two series i can't confirm about other ones but of having the pilot of a series have sort of a send-off with a character from the previous series so like so we have mccoy doing a send-off in this one and then in deep space nine you get a send-off from picard um and then in voyager you get a send-off from a character from deep space nine so and I, I think that's that's a good like nod um even though like it's this you know the same creator this it is a new show that they're that they were making and it's a new a new adventure and so it's nice to make that connection really explicit yeah and on i think on cbs um before the pilot came out or maybe shortly after they actually did a special with deforest kelly and he does a walk around of the new ship oh is that right yeah so he's kind of the he was, I think he, they, they used a Forrest Kelly both in character and out of character to try to form a bridge between yeah. between both both shows. Yeah. Great. So thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a stellar five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram at firstlinkpod or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com to let us know what you thought. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. Let's see what's out there. Bye. The vlog at Prosper.